Hello, and welcome back, friends, to the Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck podcast with David Nickturn on the Be Here Now Network. And if you're not coming back and it's your first time, welcome as well. My name is Michael Cammers. I'm David's student, co-producer, and sometimes I'm going to go with the term podkick. So welcome, everyone, <laughs> and welcome, David. You may have just entered the zeitgeist with that one. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you, know, you might need a little drum kit, though, you know, uh, maybe a tablo or something like that. Ooh, yeah, yeah. okay. I'll ride shotgun with some percussion. Uh, yeah, we, we should get a little Indian kind of uh, tablo or, or some kind of murdungam or something. You can go, gadungum, you know, so if we say something funny, you know. I'll put God's, that in my sh- God's forbid, you know. <laughs> put that in the show notes for next yeah. one. Tune back in. <laughs> yeah. So... You know, we decided, even though we love to ramble and, um, you know, start from a place and go to another place through a third place that we didn't even know existed and get to a fourth place, that seems kind of like where we meant to get to the whole time. Um, this time, we're talking about a really strong aspect of what everybody calls mindfulness meditation practice. So popular so much in the zeitgeist in the West now, everywhere, everybody is doing, you know, it, it's like, remember that song, Do the Macarena, and everybody's doing the Macarena? Oh, boy, do I remember that song. I, would I, think, I, I was like towards the end of my high school career, so it was full Macarena saturation. <laughs> right. so, so this would be Do the Mindfulness, um, and everybody's got a version of it, and it's also uh, something that has become like memes do almost a uh, uh, not a caricature of itself but a, a you know it, it's almost an echo of itself uh, it's, it's everywhere and then it's mirror uh, echoing and mirroring back but we know you know we feel Michael at Dharma Moon you know and we both are involved with presenting mindfulness practice to others as something we feel is worthwhile a basic meditation practice like that it's been very worthwhile for us and so we are not only recommending it, but helping other people to get their, uh, you know, orientation towards it going and, and to develop some kind of steady practice. So uh, in that regard, we're, we're, you know, joining the larger group of people thinking it might have some efficacy for society and for the culture. Um, and one of the characteristics that is consistently uh, mentioned as a, benefit of mindfulness practice is resilience or sometimes resiliency i've heard it said that way Uh, not sure if that's even a word ladies and gentlemen we have to check that out but resilience is for sure a word and we thought we'd explore that together in this in this episode what 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 is resilience um what is the theory of it what's the actual experience of it like and what's the benefit of it so we're going to be disciplined in this episode, Michael. Do you think we can do it? Stay well, on topic? Stay on target? If we wander, we can recollect in return. And in doing so, we may cultivate some resilience along the way. Ourselves, right here in this very podcast, <laughs> with my pod kick. Hey, Zyka. The podmeister and the pod kick. Um, we could go on the road. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I think it should be a third person on the on the drums somehow. Yeah, just and that's all they do during the whole time. 
So resilience, as we just, we wandered, and now we're coming back, right? We talked about going on the road, and now we're coming back to the topic. So resilience is that part of mindfulness practice where you develop the strength, the um, muscle. It's like a training a muscle. It's very similar to that if people have done physical training. Uh, you, like if you're learning tennis, you train the muscles to move in a certain way together towards a certain, uh, in a certain sequence, and they become stronger, literally stronger. Stronger usually means more, they can process more energy, they can uh, return to that pattern more easily. So resilience has the quality of strength and also burning in a, a, a pattern uh, that you can more easily return to. And that pattern is paying attention to what's going on in the moment. And it is a game changer. Yes, it is. I think, you know, if we're mindful in a way, we're, we're being with our experience as it arises, too. So, like, in cultivating that resilience, you're, like, you're kind of almost less likely to get knocked down, you know. But, like, what happens when you stub your toe? <laughs> you know okay like, perfect example <laughs> everybody's had that happen where does your mindfulness go well where was it before you stub your toe where was it during the stubbing of the toe and where is it right after where is your attention that's a really good a really good example well let's say let's, these days as somebody who is endeavoring to be a mindfulness practitioner and is on a podcast <laughs> about one so let's yeah, hope i'm right. doing okay yeah, so you better you better your mind has wandered your attention is somewhere else right so you're you're in that foggy fog bank of the mind thinking about the past or the future or your your mind and body aren't synchronized because of that right and then you stub your toe boom right like i'm just seeing like <laughs> you see stars you know it's like the old batman tv show when somebody would get punched thwap you know and like you're kind of not there for a second it's almost like when the meditation bell rings and you wake up yeah. and now as a practitioner i say something kind of like once I f stop cursing or whatever, which I don't curse as long now, but I'll say thank you for this opportunity reminding me to come back. Michael, you're hitting the table. Are you aware of that? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm getting animated. Yeah. And it's creating us an unmindful thud on our audio track. Thank you for this reminder. <laughs> gah, you... Gah, gah, gah. <laughs> I've had some of my best ideas when I let my mind wander. I even wrote a movie. I had an idea for uh, a, a song. You know, I um, thought up the idea of a personal computer. So how would you answer that if, if somebody said, you know, why such an anal fixation on being present? What's the big deal? Well, I, I think there may be a sort of misinterpretation there of... Uh it being an anal fixation that's quite so intense, right? We're not too tight. We're not too loose, right? It's a middle way practice. But along but with The that, practice is emphasizing coming back to the breath, coming back to the present. 
why? What, what, what is such a, uh, why can't you just wander, come back, wander, come back, and, you know, as, as the natural rhythm of it occurs? I why mean, deliberately and intentionally <laughs> cultivate resilience? Because it has implications of liberation, liberatory, with mind, body, and energy. I'm going to make a big claim, right? If, uh-huh. if we're talking about Buddha Dharma, and that's where our experience is. You know, and if you want to daydream, if you want to be imaginative and think about things, great. You can do that with intention. And I hate to tell you, even if you're a mindfulness practitioner, your mind is still going to wander. It's the nature of mind to think. But we notice when we've wandered, and that is a big difference as opposed to like, you know, somebody cutting you off in traffic and waking up three days later. Well, that. Uh, leads to one very interesting conclusion is when we're lost or distract lost in thought or distracted we do stub our toe and we do have car accidents mm-hmm. not to be all like you know judgmental about it or anything like that but when i asked you where was your mind right before you stub your toe the odds are i think in our experience that your mind was not on uh in tuned into the experience the physical or as you said synchronizing mind and body at that moment were unsynchronized and then when you stub your toe that is almost a really interesting moment of kind of pure colliding of mind and body Mm. because they weren't synchronized they crashed together like a wave a big wave on a beach and then right after where is your mind usually when you've had the experience of stubbing your toe what kind of uh where is your mind right after you have that experience? If you're Michael Cameras. There's a, a flash of pain. Then Michael Cameras kind of disappears a little bit. Then there's the relationship with the reaction in this sort of chain of reaction. I'm experiencing my reaction more than the actual experience. So I can speak for me. My first thought would often be, I'm not trying to categorize it as like imminently or unflinchingly. Who can I blame for this? <laughs> Who left I, live, the- I live by myself. There's nobody to blame anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, wait a minute. A lot of the time I live by myself. Yeah. Irrelevant. Yeah, true. There was yeah. still a carpenter. There was still a, a, a house cleaner. There was still, um, you know a show you watched on television that had you thinking too much. There was still, uh, you know, a compelling piece of music that drew you to it. Mm. Uh, anybody but me, you know? So I don't know. That's probably my clashes firing and my way of, uh, you know, processing previous karmas in which I look and I go, who can I blame for this? You know? And one of the really powerful aspects i think of our practice and it's hard to say this because it sounds judgmental and it sounds sort of too programmed there is no one to blame for this or if you need to blame somebody you could start with what you think of as oneself drive all blames into one that lojong slogan but it goes contrary so we come back suddenly, if we're mindful, we don't stub the toe in the first place. I think, you know, I'm trying to think of um, ever me seeing one of the great lamas do something just mindless and crash into a door. Or even, even um, you know, uh, 
very free movement, you know, at the body level. There, it never, in, in my experience of what I would consider to be the highly realized people that we seek to emulate, and um, um, it's good if you have people like that and if you can appreciate their good qualities and appreciate the fact that they've cultivated them to the extent where you actually want to emulate somebody. And, um, and also if you appreciate the fact that it's not a, ma- a miracle or a magic act, but it's something you yourself could cultivate and it's just a passing of the baton from one being to another. If you can see all those uh, characteristics clearly, there is a texture, a field generated by true resilient mindfulness field in which things are better synchronized. And, you know, going with that, there's a flavor of slowing down somewhat. There's not a speedy quality. I would say all the great teachers I've ever seen, that's a unifying theme. They're not speedy. You know, we get speedy and we get anxious and our thoughts race ahead of us. Uh, It's almost a sign of accomplishment that somebody's operating at a kind of very grounded pace, even though they may accomplish uh, and even multitask. So I'm thinking of Dilko Kense Rinpoche, one of the great lamas of the 20th century. So many roads lead back to him, including our path, Trungpa Rinpoche, many other teachers, many other students over the years. Never rushed, never rushed. However, we remember times when he would be sitting on his bed he was huge he was six foot seven he'd be sitting on the bed and people would come in and and you know visit there and maybe he's having some dialogue with them maybe they're asking a dharma question or a life question and at the same time he's doing a sadhana practice and doing the mantras and those things are in a parallel field but there's no speed it's uh it's it's um and then you realize you know we we uh, have talked about this before about the guy, I, the young kid I saw on a TV show that a prodigy, a composer prodigy. And, you know, there's lots of musician prodigies. That's, that's pretty common. But composer prodigy, uh, prodigies are rarer. But this kid, when he was two, he started writing little squiggles on a napkin and they realized his mom was a musician. They realized it was notes. By the time he was eight, well, let's say by the time he was five, he could memorize music and hear music in his head, an entire symphony, hear the whole thing. And by the time he's eight or ten, he could hear four symphonies in his head at once. Now, you and I go, oh, my God. And maybe we can hear a piece of music in our head and, oh, okay, the bass is playing this and the trombone's playing that. You hear the elements of it. And maybe when we listen to music, our ear is trained in a way that somebody else's isn't. You hear the detail of it. And so maybe we haven't explored the full range of what is possible in the realms of the sense memories. But at the same time, there's no speed. When, when, when somebody's having that depth of sense, sense perceptions, like, for example, Trungpa Rinpoche very clearly could assimilate visual data at a level I've never seen before or since. Six people would come into a room for a refuge vow. Uh, he would just have a four-minute meeting with them, and then they'd leave. He'd say, 
oh, did you notice the necklace on that person or the hairstyle on this one or the, the tortoiseshell glasses? It was like visually imprinting at a complete level of detail, but there was no speed. So um, it's almost like great athletes, they're moving very slow even when they're moving fast. And that's training and resilience. And there's no panic, there's no speed. Uh, and there is a strong ability, if there's a little wandering, to zero in to come back very quickly. And we start with the kind of slow motion version of that. Like we go, we when we're meditating, we think blah 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 for like two minutes, and then you know, and then she did this, and I said that and was, and then we're getting all upset about. It. And then you have a little moment, you go, ah, thinking, and we come back. We train our mind and resiliency to come back, as you said, to that very simple experience mindfulness of the breath and we wander we come back we wander we come back and the training is not learning how to quiet the mind or how to stop the mind or how to um, sustain the feeling of being present it is simply the art of noticing and coming back gradually becomes a kind of muscle there's a strength in it and then it's just not that for a strong person to lift a bench it's not that hard It's really amazing how the the training on the on the cushion, you know, the cushion is our gym or our dojo or however you want to frame it. Um, the experience is so simplified, you know, uh, intentionally, right? Like the technique you is so simple. You know, I hit I hit my. <laughs> I hit that. <laughs> That's it. You noticed. Immediately, I noticed. I uh, I had two Italian grandmas, so I talk with my hands. It's something I need to work on when I'm teaching. But um, it's so simple, and we just see so clearly. This is a thought. It arises. It's there for a second. It dissipates. Everything does that, you know, that's conditional, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, you're saying, like, you train to pick up a, you know, pick up something heavy, they also train to put it down, though, right? Like, if you're mm -hmm. really training. So I think in that way, similarly, a lot of people think, like you said, you're not holding on to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're, we're training in, you know, uh, uh, if somebody's lifting weights, they pick it up. We're placing our attention. Then they put it down. That takes training, too. So we don't put our mindfulness down, but we notice when we wander. Mm -hmm. It's not just the placement. It's also the alertness that when we notice we wander and I, we talk about it all the time on the podcast but it's so important because it's just like um i think before you start practicing you just think you got to hold on to it but you can't hold on to awareness because it's not an object it's not an object <laughs> well and neither are you so there's nobody to hold it either i mean if you really get into it um and there's a you know i've been talking about this with mindfulness practice and sort of incorporating this sensibility into my own practice, which is we think we're holding a balloon string with ideas and thoughts in it, oh, like you know, those, those cartoons. And we pop the balloon and we go thinking. And then that person who was holding the string now is just coming to a much simpler experience, which is a tactile experience or a sensory experience of breathing or listening or whatever you have. But when you look at 
<clears throat> who is holding the balloon string and you um, have some sense of some form of being or cognition or that's holding it. And if you release the string, so first you pop the balloon, then there's a lot more space, and then you're still holding the string, which is the thread of, um, you know, somebody's doing something. And what happens when you can, if you can not do this conceptually, but experientially, release the string of somebody doing something? Uh, I think the way that that relates to resilience, like earlier I said it had implications, liberatory implications, right? And that's a profound, um, a profound um, word on the relative plane in a lot of ways. But we think that like, you know, like plate spinners, like we, we got to keep the plate spinning constantly. And it's like that speediness, right? Like if I don't stop, everything's going to fall apart. And then you let go of the string of the balloon. And awareness is still there. You don't need to fabricate it. But how is that different from, let's say we're obsessed and we keep spinning the plates, like we're paying our rent and we're getting our car uh, tires inflated and we're uh, doing various things. If we let go of those the wrong way, our life falls apart in the wrong way. That's not liberatory. That gets into further and further entanglement. So, that that comes, you know, we go around full circle there. And what is the way to let go, which includes having the proper relative relationship to a world, either for your own benefit or possibly for the benefit of others, where you are um, freed up from petty concerns, but you still have retained some relationship to practical grounded concerns and also non-petty concerns, if you can differentiate between those two. I'm not going to attempt to do that for somebody else. Um, you know, like we went, Monica and I went into town today to get some groceries. It's so cold out today. And, you know, my first thought was how quickly can I get back into the car, get back to the house and get our stuff done. And her first thought is there's people right now freezing to death out on the streets. That's a bigger thought. And I'm not, I'm not saying you have to kind of um, artificially crank that up and feel good about yourself for being a compassionate hero. But the mind expanding in that way, um, it really it, it dented my heart when she said that. And I just thought, God, I'm so selfish and so self-absorbed. And many of these great saints that we love are not. And even if only falling in love with them and emulating something about them is our road to becoming one inch less self-centered and more compassionate. That is, you know, uh, a good outcome. And the fact that beings who, have, who are liberated the way you're talking about it, and I feel like we've met some of them. So we're not just talking about uh, fiction here or a, a, a utopian ideal. Clearly, the sign is a relentless, patience-drenched, almost greedy sense of encompassing others in the field of well-being. That's, that's 
worth noting. Absolutely. And that ability to come back over and over again to our own experience and that resilience, you know, like on the Hinayana level, we, we got to clean our own room, <laughs> you know, and like being able to come back to your own experience when it's uncomfortable is resilience. It's also compassion. You're including yourself in your circle of compassion by being willing to be with your experience and having the belief or the knowledge that your awareness and space are bigger than that and can be held by it, you know? And to me, that's inspiring. That inspires me to meet the world with resilience over and over again and try and do better and act more skillfully and more compassionately. Thank you, everybody. Thank Thank you, you, Michael. Thank you, David. Be well, everybody, and take good care. Thank you. There you have it, folks, our resilience episode of our three R's of mindfulness mini-series of our David's View sub-series of the Creativity, Spirituality, Making a Book podcast. We sincerely hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed making it. Stay tuned for our final of the three R's series in two weeks with an episode on reactivity. I'm not sure I can take credit for coining the term podkick. It may have been a parallel development with our Dharma Moon colleague, Brittany Valentino, who mentioned it, or somebody else out in the podverse. But either way, I'm grateful to be here in the podkick seat. That being said, I'd like to make a quick correction from a previous episode of a statement I made incorrectly referring to the Sanskrit term prajna as clear scene. Prashna is translated a number of ways, but discriminating awareness wisdom is a good one. Vipassana is often translated as clear seeing as well as insight. If you'd like to hear more about Prashna, there's an episode with David on the Wisdom Podcast with Daniel Aiken entitled Unsheathing the Sword of Prashna. It's a pretty good one. So if you'd like to learn more about Prashna, listen to David and Daniel in discussion there. If you enjoy the podcast, we encourage you to like it and share and leave a positive review for us on whatever platforms you share and like things on. We'd really appreciate it. It would help us get the word out about the podcast. If you'd like to hear more podcasts, please head to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash David. Be Here Now has an ever-expanding library of some of our greatest teachers sharing timeless wisdom for the current moment. And we encourage you to head over there to check out more. Also, if you'd like to connect with David and our community at Dharma Moon, please head over to dharmamoon.com where you can see our listings of upcoming programming. We have a mindfulness meditation teacher training about to start, an ongoing foundations of mindfulness program for beginners, and even advanced people if you'd like to reconnect with the practice, a monthly community meditation gathering, and lots of great webinars with special guests coming up. We'd like to thank Corey, JR, and Sarah, and everyone at the Be Here Now Network for their hard work and commitment. And so, until next time, we wish you a fond farewell. May you be safe, healthy, happy, and at ease. All the best.